0: Let's face it, your code is going to have errors, even code written by kick-ass developers such as yourself. When bad things happen, it's nice to know that HoneyBadger has your back. HoneyBadger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and cron monitoring into a single-use platform, all for way less than you're probably paying now. HoneyBadger monitors and sends error alerts in real-time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding in your code, so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. Included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go AWOL or silently fail. Go to HoneyBadger.io and discover how Star, Josh, and Ben created a 100% bootstrapped monitoring solution. Why is this important? Self-funding means they only answer to you, the developer rather than to a venture capital overlord. Greater than code listeners get 30% off for six months. Simply mention greater than code when signing up and they'll apply a discount to your account. No credit card required. Welcome to Greater Than Code, episode 205. I'm John Sowers, and I'm here with Astrid County.
1: Thanks, John. And I'm going to introduce our guest today, Amir Hendricks. He is the CEO and founder of Doist, the software company responsible for Todoist, one of the world's most popular productivity tools used by over 8 million people. Originally from Bosnia, Amir grew up in Denmark and studied computer science. Prior to Doist, Amir was part of the founding team at Plurk, a Twitter precursor used by millions of people that continues to be one of the most popular social networking sites in Asia. While still a university with two programming jobs on the side, he created Todoist in 2007. It was one of the first digital task managers available. Currently based in Barcelona, Spain with his Chilean wife, Amir's mission is to create tools that help people and teams improve their organization and communication. Uh, welcome to the show, Amir.
2: Well, thanks a lot. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah
1: everybody gets asked this question. Um, Our first question is, what is your superpower? And how did you get it?
2: I mean, you know, like my background is kind of refugee. So when we actually came to Denmark, there was a huge war in Bosnia in the 90s, we actually had to start from like scratch. And my parents had like a grocery store while I was growing up. And one of the things is like, I had to like help them out in the grocery store. And I hated that. And also, like I used all of my summers on kind of like this like physical work of like, you know, working in the grocery store. Then we also had like prints like picking strawberries. That's yeah, the yeah. right word. And <laughs> uh, I figured like quickly out that the only way I could actually succeed is kind of like use my brain instead of like, you know, <laughs> the physical aspects because that was kind of like, I found that like work very hard. And also like, you know, you would basically like, like my parents woke up like at 5am and they came home at like 8pm and like they could never actually have any vacations either so it's just like you know having like this kind of like stores is a brutal job and i would actually envy people that had like parents working like factories because at least like you had like a much more sane like um, a regular schedule yeah yeah and that's why why i kind of like began to take school very seriously learning very seriously before that i was actually a really lousy student Uh, and then i was like okay like the only way i can actually succeed is kind of learning and i basically you know done that and i still like spend a lot of my time just like learning and trying to grow and try to actually use my brain instead of like you know the physical aspects that my parents used yeah so i think like probably like you know learning is my superpower that that's something i would say yeah
1: I feel like what you're saying a lot of people can relate to. I remember getting kind of advice like that. One of, the, one of our family friends said, it's better to use your brain than have to use your body. Because what she was referencing is uh, she had her own uh, hair salon, but she was saying how it gets hard on you over the years, you know, when you're constantly moving and, and having to use your body to make your living, and that if you can use your brain, then your brain will just get better over time and sharper. And it won't be something that kind of deteriorates in the way that your body can against your own will. So I I get what you're saying about, you know, learning how important it is to learn.
2: Yeah. And I guess like that's something that can maybe only learn, at least like for me, I think the only way I can, like like, my parents told me like school is important. I I didn't like understand that, you know, like, (laughs) or like learning is important. Uh, It's only like when you're actually like in, you know, the weeds, like picking, you know, like at 5am like strawberries (laughs) that you're Mm kind of like oh like my life is shit like I don't want to live (laughs) like this Uh, (laughs) yeah and and honestly like I think it's also like something about leverage as well like you know in the physical world it's kind of very hard to get leverage in the like virtual world it's much easier and I think it's also especially now you can kind of like be you know uh, a kid in India and get an amazing job or like in Africa or whatever like else by just like you know like using your brain and, and 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 using your knowledge uh yeah so i think also it opens up a lot of doors for people as well and i hope like we will see more of this uh, in the future
0: you talked about um you know being a refugee and moving to denmark you know uh, how old were you at that time and i'd love to understand more about what that experience was like
2: yeah i mean i was probably like five honestly like i don't remember much about it it was very traumatic but like I don't think for me it was that traumatic. Like, I was very young, so I didn't really you know connect the dots. But like for like I have uh, older siblings, and for them I think it was like devastating, like much more devastating for, than for me. I, I don't think like normal people can actually relate how it is to lose like everything, you know. And you basically need to flee, and like the whole process of fleeing isn't just like you know like planned. For instance, like my family, like we didn't have all the passport in check because you know you don't plan <laughs> you know like uh, oh i'm going to flee i need to make passport so so i can flee like so we had like to actually i mean there's like crazy stories but basically like, we had to cross like the whole europe in train uh, to get to denmark and like denmark is kind of like a random location like we had no plans to go to denmark it was like the the, the country that's open for refugees mm-hmm. our plan was actually sweden but the uh, the uh, Sweden had uh, closed borders. So the only uh, location was Denmark. And then, you know, you don't really have like passports. So, like, the police will make many, many problems. And actually, like, my sister, like, she entered Denmark with a different parent. So basically, we had to like subscribe her to another family with a different name <laughs> and different, like, birth of, of date. And fixing that was like a huge problem, you know, because yeah. basically, you're another kid with another name with another family and then like the real family says oh yeah that's our daughter we had to like uh, like falsify the the passport to to get her you know and there's a lot of stories like that but honestly as a kid like i don't recall much i think it's like kind of very traumatic experience that you kind of just want to forget
0: yeah i can imagine Well, actually, I can't really like I can I I can pretend that I can imagine, but like, I I don't think it would have anything close to the sense of what that would actually be like.
1: Yeah, yeah, it sounds really chaotic. I know like here because I live in Houston, I have been lucky to not have to personally experience but I I do know people who lost everything because of natural disasters. But that is not the same as not being able to rebuild where you are because you have to leave. And you have to kind of go through all these other countries that have their own rules and not have any security that wherever you land, you'll even be together.
2: Yeah, I think like probably both are very, very difficult.
1: You know, you started out talking about how you kind of figured out that you wanted to just use your brain and and learn, but how did you focus? And I know that you said that you didn't always remember everything, but since you have older siblings that did and obviously parents that were going through things, how did you find it possible to focus when so much had changed?
2: Yeah. The issue is like also when, when we actually entered Denmark, we were kind of like in this refugees camp for some years. Uh, so that was like very blurry as well. I actually like, I, I started like real school in like fourth grade. And before that, it was kind of like a refugees camp, you know, like a, and, uh, improvised learning, like by, like my, my brother, who's like 15 years older than me, he taught math and he has never, you know, like had any like teaching background. It's just like because like, uh, yeah, he was good at math. So he taught math uh, at like this improvised school. So I'm not sure like if I answered the, the question, but you know, there's kind of like, there's a lot of like blurriness in the whole process. Uh, and like before mm-hmm. you actually settle down, it took us like many, many years, probably like, I, I would guess like, Maybe five to ten
0: so it sounds like <laughs> like part of your your interest in like in like developing your, your your learning skills was around like also having like a very unstructured learning environment for sort of a big part of your growing up. and so did you find that you had to sort of find your own ways to knowledge because there wasn't such a structured uh, educational system there?
2: Yeah. I mean, I was like, it was a very brutal, uh, like if you miss like kindergarten and the first few like years of school, you know, you have a huge disadvantage. So actually, like I figured first out, like I was actually like smart, uh, maybe second year of high school before that. I, I, I struggled a lot, you know, like, <laughs> so I actually thought like I was dumb and the teachers also thought I was dumb. <laughs> so actually they, they would not like even, um, there's like in Denmark there's a system where they need to kind of like uh, recommend you for like higher edu- education uh like to actually go to the high school they they didn't want to recommend me like they wanted me to go t- and like uh you know um uh, because there's like uh, there's like more physical work and like more like school work that you can there's two paths you can follow right so i mean that was a hard environment you know i think it's also like that's how you kind of like, uh, you struggle and then you know at some point uh, you kind of win over the struggle and then you're in a really good position because like nothing came easy. Uh,
0: and do you feel like that experience has sort of influenced either like the, the your motivation to, you know, like sounds like you were very busy during college, you know, having multiple jobs and, you know, starting the startup as well as doing your studies. Like is that, do you think that was partly motivated, you know, coming out of that and realizing that like the power that you had with your mind uh, that you could apply there or what was that like?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And I think it's probably related. I think like a lot of like founders, what I think most people don't really know is like, I think in order like to be a founder, I mean, that's not like a generalization, but like at least the, the, the founders I know, like they have something that's broken with them, you know, <laughs> and uh, you're never going to fix that, you know, and it's usually like some trauma that you had in, in your past. Um, so for me, that's probably also, very related to like the personality i have you know like to the like experience that i had in life and i know like a lot of other fans that have like uh, uh much worse stories as well um so like maybe like that trauma can either like make you stronger or make you like weaker and it's really like the framing how you use it uh so i think like i use it like positively and i still do like it's kind of a drive that, that you kind of really switch off you know <laughs> it's always there
0: and so, what is that drive for? Is that drive for like being in control of your work environment, or is it about like physical security, or uh, some other aspect?
2: Yeah, I, I can't really fully answer that. Like, I don't really actually know fully. Like, I need to like dig deeper, like more deeper into this. Something though, I, I found out is like in the past, I was not really reflective of like you know my psyche or like especially like the shadow side. I'm much like if. Uh, you know like the Jung theory of like mm-hmm. the 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 self so I was like not really aware of that at all you know I was just like living in the like <laughs> and then like the shadow side was just like blocked so even like you know for people like I would definitely recommend like you know going into like that deep dive but it can also like be very traumatic to do that uh, yeah uh, yeah
0: it's not something to undertake lightly for sure yeah
2: yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably like with a psychologist, uh, it's a very good idea to kind of like try to you know, go deeper to this. Uh, I think like that kind of gave me another understanding of like uh, myself and stuff. And I'm actually still like trying to learn, but yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a challenge.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a lifelong process. You know, I think we're all involved in in that in some way or another.
2: Yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah, and maybe the people that aren't like aren't really like. Uh, <laughs> You know, I think it makes you a better person to actually dig into yourself.
1: I'm actually really interested in where you kind of came up with this idea that founders um, tend to have something that's broken that they're trying to fix inside
2: them. I was actually not really aware of this until like at some point I signed up for like Reboot CEO Bootcamp. and I am not you if you know Reboot with yeah. Jerry. Uh, yeah. And I actually thought like, you know, we will go there and like, I will learn some like leadership skills, you know, it will be great. <laughs> and then it was like very, very different from uh, what I would expect. And there we did like a lot of like exercises that kind of like dig deep into ourselves and like we shared a lot of stuff. So I was there like with like 15 others, like uh, founder types. And yeah, I mean, what I kind of got out of this is like everybody kind of has some kind of like like not demon but like something they are fighting with and uh, like maybe like also like if you're successful actually that's maybe like a bigger drive then yeah that's at least what i found out it's like yeah and you would actually never really like know that until you kind of like you hear their stories it's kind of like on the outside you can't really you know see that so that's kind of like where I drew my theory. It's kind of like you have to have a drive. Starting something is really, really hard. There's a lot of trauma and stress and, like, you know, fight that you basically need to survive. And you get a lot of rejections. And, and yeah, sign up for that while you could maybe have, you know, a nice job at Facebook or whatever. Like, you know, it's a, it's like not everybody that wants to sign up for that. So that's kind of like, yeah, I'm also like, you know, it's not really a study.
1: It's
2: just like my impression is like, is there something wrong? And like, they try to fix it and then like, it's not really fixed at all. (laughs) And then it's kind of just a continuous battle. Yeah.
1: What I got out of what you're saying is that it's like something inside of you is relentless, maybe more relentless because you went through something or still might be going through something that allows you to take that energy and apply it to your business, like you're more willing to fight to keep going than maybe the average person who, it sounds great in the beginning, but then once you start getting to the really hard, messy stuff, they kind of start to say, why am I even doing this? I could be enjoying my life. And there's a smaller subset of people who, because they're kind of more used to the fight, or there's something about that fight that is like a thing that they want to engage with, that they're willing to get through those those harder times.
2: Does that sound right? Yeah, I, I mean, that's at least my impression. And I think like non-founders have this as well. Like everybody's struggling with something. It's just like, at least like from the founders I know, like that is like much more like dominant inside their like personality.
0: Jerry Colonna is the guy who runs Reboot.io and his podcast is one of amongst my favorites. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's so such an amazing coach and he's so good at like diving into the real issues that are driving someone uh, in in their work, and you know, it's actually I had thought of him when you first started talking because you know we were talking about you know coming out of a traumatic environment and how that might be shaping what your drive is, and I was thinking this, you know, he talks about that a lot.
2: Yeah, and honestly, like, before like that boot camp I did, like I never like reflected over that. I never actually like was aware of that. And they are really like good at digging that up, and it just like wow, like what is going on here? Yeah. It's always like very, very scary, like uh, feeling as well. Yeah, so yeah, Jerry and the folks there they are doing a pretty good job. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty brutal one, though. Yeah.
3: Explore Domain Driven Design is offering hands on and highly interactive workshops this year. Workshops will take place over the course of the last two weeks in October and the first three weeks in November. Instructors include industry leaders such as Scott Velaschian, Kasper Gunya. Maureen Usenveld, Jessica Kerr, Kent Beck, Alberto Brandolini, and Paul Rayner. Why should you attend? No travel, no flight delays, passport control, or security checks. Worried about losing your luggage? Forget about it. Challenge your thinking in an open, sharing, and collaborative environment while accessing the workshops from the comfort of your own home or office. Take breaks as needed. These are strange times we are living in. Use the time you would be traveling to report to colleagues on key lessons and takeaways. Help them to expand the skills you've learned from these innovative, remote sessions and then incorporate them into your organization. Talk to your boss and tell them how you would benefit from attending online workshops from Explore DDD. Relay the cost savings you'll benefit from by not traveling this year. Visit ExploreDDD.com workshops and register today. Use the code E D D D G T C to get ten percent off the price of any of the workshop tickets.
0: So I know you've talked about remote work in the past, and uh, I assume that when you started Duist and you know as, as a side project in in college, it was probably you know just out of your dorm room, and if you were working with others, they were working in their own spaces. So I, I'm, I'm guessing it was born out of a fairly distributed team. I understand you, you kept going with that as the company expanded. you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: The, the, the first social network I, I founded was with like a Canadian, Indian, uh, uh, Malaysian, Chinese, and I'm kind of like Bosnian, Danish. Uh, <laughs> and we basically work on the internet. And also a lot of people that we had were very weird. And I didn't actually like meet them until maybe two or three years into this so that's kind of like the first remote experience i had and i had like a blast we were just like creating stuff and when i started this like tourist i actually never really set up to do like a a remote company but i was living in chile and i needed to hire like people and i couldn't really find any local people i could hire that kind of matched uh, the skills that i needed so I just started to hire, like from the outside of of Chile, <laughs> and that's how it grew. Like there was like no master plan. It was just like okay, this makes sense, you know, uh, and we can just like work together online.
0: So uh, ob- obviously that's how you got started, and 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 it certainly made it more convenient being able to look at a worldwide talent pool. But you've kept doing it since then, even to the point where you probably could buy a a building and set up a headquarters or something like that, but you're, you're still, I think, very much into the remote work, the distributed team environment. Is that correct?
2: Honestly, like, I think people don't really understand, like, most people don't understand the implications of this. Like, it's the first time in human history where you can actually, like, have an amazing job regardless of where you live. Like, nowhere in history could you actually do that. And this has, like, all kind of implications. And then we mix in also that you can actually learn from anywhere. You know, you could be be a kid in, in in Africa and you know learn code, and then suddenly get a good job, and then basically changes everything. And maybe it also changes everything for your local community. Yeah, you know, for us, it's kind of like the future of work, but maybe also the future of the world, because like we kind of like, need to break these like silos that we are creating, like these huge cities where like the only way you can actually get a great job is like living in these huge like areas that are actually small, like in And then, uh, yeah, like we need to create a system where you can like live anywhere and also like, you know, have a local community that you support and just like, you know, work, uh, like in this way, I think like the technology is there. Like we are kind of proof. There's many other companies that are actually much larger than us that this is like possible. You can build like amazing companies, amazing cultures. And then I think also like something that ties into this kind of the diversity aspect. Like in this kind of environment, you don't actually really care who people are (laughs) like, uh, yeah. And uh, one of the stories I, I always like to, to point to is like one of our like early team members, David, like nobody has ever like seen him or, or to him. And he's been at company for 10 years. There's like no way in other contexts that this could actually happen. He does a great job. He actually has a great sense of humor. Uh, it's just like text. Uh, but you know, that's, uh, that's how, how we roll like, uh, and that's kind of an environment that you can create. And I think there's like, this would be a huge advantage for a lot of people.
1: I think right now is a really interesting time to talk about remote work because there's a lot of people who, for the, maybe their first time ever, are working remotely because of the pandemic. And so there's a lot of information out there about how to work remote and what ways that you can try to balance everything. But one of the things that I find kind of interesting are some of the people who are still skeptical. So I have people who I know who, you know, they, they constantly are being told, okay, we're all going to come back to the office on this date. And then that might change. Or we're all going to come the next month. And then that doesn't change uh, because they're trying to figure out how to bring people back into the office. They still see remote work as like a temporary fix and not as a, a natural way to work. So, what do you say to people who kind of question this entire way of working and say, how can you do this long-term? It can't possibly be good for your your company. How do people get to know each other? What about the things that you have to be face-to-face for? Yeah. Uh,
2: you know, there's like multiple angles here. Like One of the angles is kind of like that people think that remote culture are kind of like weak. And if you look at like remote companies like ShotSource ours, or like GitLab, Basecamp, Buffer, like the retention rate, and it's like over many years, is like over ninety percent for a lot of these companies. So basically, like nobody leaves, uh, uh, and this is like not common. Like for for us, it's actually like over the last ten years, like it's ninety-seven percent. And usually, actually, like for like even the best tech companies like Google, I think it's something like thirty percent. So you know, you can build like very strong cultures. Like it, they need to be different cultures. Like, you can't really have the same, like, connection to other people. And you maybe also need to have, like, connections, like, social connections outside of work because you will not be, like, fulfilled, like, socially in a remote, uh, like, first environment. And the current, like, crisis that we have, I mean, honestly, like, I have been in a lockdown in, in Chile for, like, five months with two kids, and it was, like, horrible. Like, I would never do that. And that's, like, the experience that people have of remote work is, like, being on a lockdown, you know, without having freedom and maybe with kids or like just alone maybe or even with a partner like it's all like really really bad scenarios so like real remote work it's actually like much more freedom to structure your day like especially like if you mix like remote first with asynchronous first that we do where you actually don't have like synchronized hours that you work so that means like you can actually have full flexibility of how you actually work when you work where you work from yeah, so that's kind of the premise. But right now, like what people are doing is like Zoom calls and Slack all day long, or, like Microsoft Teams all day long. And that isn't really like the real remote work. I think like this, you know, acceleration, this actually won't be like super positive for the remote movement because a lot of people have like traumas uh, and they will blame remote work for this, but it's kind of like it's a pandemic, you're not locked down, You know, you don't have a lot of freedom. You don't, maybe, like, your kids are in school or, like, you can go out to a coffee shop or, like, do your vacationing or whatever else, like, that you used to do. So it's kind of a very extreme environment, yeah.
0: yeah that's a pretty good point about how, like, this context for remote work is is very much atypical for, for normal times remote work. And, and also, like, a lot of these remote, like, situations happen, you know, on basically pretty short notice. So, like, the culture hadn't been set up to you know around remote work and and everyone was still learning how to do it and they were still getting their technology sorted out and right so for a team Mm -hmm. that had to suddenly become remote in two weeks in march is going to be a very different process than one who much like my team has been remote for the last eight years
2: i mean exactly john and like this is something like it's a huge cultural shift like huge shift like it's not just another way like you need to invent like another way to, to work together to communicate to maybe also live so it's not only about like working it's also like how do you live like how do you get like a social connections with other people that's i think like it's a big struggle and you know we have also tried to educate like we have like had a blog for like over 10 years where we just shared everything that we know but i think like still like it's a huge jump for people and you know i still hope like after this you know people will still give it a chance because Honestly, I think like it's the best way to kind of work and live.
1: I also think that the point that you were making, Amir, about silos is something that is starting to slowly get more attention. So I have been seeing some articles, especially in the U.S., about how a lot of people are leaving bigger cities because they want the opportunity to live closer to friends and family or to just live a different kind of life, and they can do that right now because there's no reason for them to be there except for their job and they can do their job uh, remotely. And that having that opportunity to decide where you live and it, it doesn't have to be tied to what you're doing for your, your living is giving people a chance to build a life that they didn't think they could build. And so sometimes this is replacing the drive for more money. So a lot of people assume In order for me to have the freedom to like see my friends and family the way I want or to go live off of a beach or something like that, I need to be uh, able to make this much money and I need to work however hard or where however long in order to make that money so I can have this option. Now, if you can work remotely, you could just live there and not have to worry so much about trying to attain a certain type of like financial status. So that you can have that luxury sort of lifestyle. So some of those things are changing the way that people are approaching work. Which I think is good. Because that means that you may have people who are actually trying to pursue things that they want to do. Rather than things that they think will make them lots of money. And maybe that will change uh, satisfaction. Because job satisfaction tends to be pretty unsatisfactory. I think it's something like 85% of people say they don't like their jobs. Um, most heart attacks are on Monday mornings because people don't want to go into their jobs. <laughs> and I'm wondering, you know, what you think about this as, as somebody who's been running a company who's worked this way for quite some time. Um, what do you think about some of these other parts of it? Like you mentioned before, it's not just your work; it's also changing how you live and and changing maybe how you
2: approach getting things done. You know, I think that's kind of like what is happening it's kind of like a revolution maybe or that's i hope it is where you actually like don't only optimize your life for your work but also you know to live like a great life that's kind of like compatible with your values or like the part like for instance like people like nature but a lot of times like you can't really (laughs) like in in a bigger city like have nature uh, and also like you know have a good commute time and stuff like that So I think, like, a lot of people have kind of sacrificed, you know, their maybe happiness for, like, getting a job that they wanted. And right now they can kind of balance it out. And something I've heard is kind of, like, especially in the U.S., there's kind of, like, like smaller cities or towns that are getting, like, attention and, uh, you know, people moving to them. And it's not only, like, you know, like, tech workers. It's kind of, like, normal people as well. Because, like, imagine you're, like, a teacher and you need to live, like, in San Francisco, you know. Like, it's very hard to actually find a place to live that you can afford. It's very hard to, you know, get your kids to school. So there's, like, all kind of, like, side effects of, like, these silos we have built where for normal people, like, for instance, a a school teacher or a waiter, like, it's really, really, like, a bad quality of life. And maybe for everybody as well. While, like, if you go to, like, a community, you know, and live outside, maybe in some nature, in some smaller town, like, you will have, like, much better life quality yeah and I think like you know the the silo situation is also like politically bad as well because I mean I think the u s is a good example of this happening a lot of like even in Denmark it's happening, which is a small uh, uh, where basically like all the economic activity and the great jobs are just like located in a few cities and then everywhere else it's kind of like you know people like barely surviving or like there's no jobs, there's no opportunity. And this kind of creates like, you know, like, uh, like rich and, and poor. And then like you have all kind of like issues of that. So maybe this is also a way that you can kind of combat, uh, especially as more and more people are kind of moving like into knowledge work. And even like if you're not uh, like a knowledge worker, you know, like, uh, maybe it would actually be better to live in a small community and, you know, get a decent job, like have a decent house than like live like, you know, there's like some horror stories of. Like, people that live, like, in these huge cities and that live, like, a miserable life. Like, we spend hours commuting and uh, low pay. And, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, like, I think a lot of, like, issues, not only, like, uh, work-related, but also, like, socially that I think could actually help out here.
0: Yeah, you mentioned, you know, the impact on the local community, you know, when someone is able to get a job a knowledge work job that pays for you know far above the average for whatever area they're actually living in, and you know that's an interesting angle that I, I haven't seen addressed in a lot of the writing about remote work. Uh, but it's a powerful one because if you, if you could think someone starts making Facebook level salary, like that's an amazingly amount large amount of money coming into a, a community, whether it's in the rural like U.S. or again Africa, Asia, wherever where like there's a lot of american dollars flowing in that could have quite a quite a impact um because they're going to be spent probably more locally and help lift like the whole community up as you were saying
2: yeah i mean that's so spot on john and i think that this is a a really beautiful thing and you know also for us like and for our other like remote first companies, like we actually try to pay like global salaries or close to global, of course, like, you know, like cost of living is a thing, a real thing. And you kind of need to adjust a bit to that, but still like, you know, pay people like really great salaries, uh, whatever they, they live. And I, I think this definitely changes local communities. I mean, we have like people that, you know, where we pay like, like a lot uh, more than the, they would get in that local place. And for me, I'm super happy because I like they will help you know their friends, their family. They will you know spend this, and they will make the whole community better. And I hope like we can see more of this. Yeah.
1: So I Amir, mean, I have a question, which is something else that I've seen is floating around some of these different remote work discussions. Which is some people view this as it sounds all nice and lovely, but then what you're really going to do is make it so that. Now I no longer just compete with people in my own town. I'm competing with everyone around the world for this job opening. And that'll be another way to kind of take some of the things that companies used outsourcing for and use that to help put workers against each other. So what kind of thing would you say to people who have that take on it?
2: Yeah, I mean, that is definitely, uh, I think, an issue. I mean, for us, for instance, like when, when we do like a job posting, you know, we get like sometimes like thousands of, of applicants. Uh, so like the competition, like is really, really fierce for some of these positions. And there's, you know, there's like much more demand and supply. But I hope like eventually, you know, this can kind of like even out as like more companies move into like this remote first aspect. You can see like some huge companies doing this uh, right now. So basically, like you know, we need to have more remote first jobs for this to not really happen, and then you know the competition will maybe be like uh, more even. This said, I, I think something that's kind of like critical about remote first companies kind of like I think you can hire much more for like m- like mission compatibility. So you're not only like looking for like like for instance when we look for somebody like like we don't actually care that much how much we will pay. We care more about, like, are we compatible? Like, like uh, are they really c- caring about building the, the products that we want to deliver? Uh, so, you know, I think there's maybe, like, also some things, like, so some people will be super passionate about a specific thing. They will be world-class at that, and they will maybe be able to find like, a company that does that somewhere, and they will be able to contribute. This said, I mean, this is actually going to, like, uh, we will see how this plays out. Like, I think you can definitely play out in a in the wrong way. Where basically it's kind of like outsourcing 2.0, but they said, like at least like from the current batch of remote first companies, like the focus is basically treating people really well, paying them really well. It's not kind of like treating people as like you know outsourcing
0: 2.0. Yeah, actually, you touched on the the idea of salaries before and sort of adjusting for cost of living and and how like you know a regular tech salary is worth so much more you know outside of San Francisco. Tell me a little bit more about how you figure out what the salaries are going to look like because I know. A lot of companies have different approaches to how they figure that out.
2: Yeah, I think this is still an ongoing, like, discussion. I don't think we have figured this out yet. And there's kind of, like, a market, you know, being created, and maybe the market will kind of regulate this. So, you know, like, every company has their approach. I mean, our approach is based, like, we have a formula. That kind of uh, like spits out like a, a number. And then it's kind of like different components that, that are based on that. Like, for instance, cost of living that can kind of affect 30% of the salary. Then there's kind of like a base salary that's based on the US a mm-hmm. market that we kind of like try to. I mean, it's more like an art than uh, an actual science right now. And I think like a lot of companies just like kind of like figuring it out like how they should actually do this. But something we do is kind of like formal. There's like no negotiation. And this also means that for instance, like, you know, just because you have like a specific gender or whatever, like race, you don't get paid more or like if you're better and negotiated than somebody that isn't, you know. Like it's just I think a, a fair way to compensate people. Uh I would actually love at some point and I think this is also something that we are seen like with Buffer, for instance, like fully transparency on compensation. Another company like uh is like Otis that also does this. So, you know, it's kind of starting and, you know, that I, I think that's ultimate goal is based, like, full transparency. Like, there's no, like, hidden tricks and, like, this asymmetry of information that you usually see. Yeah. We would love to move this to this at some point, And we're actually are trying to get uh, the company ready for this move. But, yeah, it's, like, it will be, like, dropping you know, a nuclear bomb on an <laughs> organization because, I mean, there's, like, a, like, you know, issues with that as well so yeah it's kind of like treading the the waters. Uh, and maybe like if you want to start something then maybe like starting with, like full transparent conversation is the way to go that's something that i would at least like recommend like i think it's much harder to actually change it later on
0: yeah definitely it's easier to start from the beginning so one thing I did notice is that you, you have an, uh, a variation based on cost of living. Does that mean that you would like actually change someone's salary if they move to a different country?
2: Uh, exactly. So whenever you change like the tax space, you, we need to optimize or like change your salary. So sometimes you can go up, sometimes you can go down. Yeah. So that's basically our rule we have.
0: What if you're moving, say, from San Francisco to Fresno? and your 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 cost of living drops significantly, but there are no tax changes that go on there. Like would you still be adjusting the salary in that case, or
2: yeah, yeah, we would, yeah, I mean given that the the variable of like cost of living isn't that I mean it's still thirty percent is a lot, but like it can be much worse, you know, like <laughs> if you go like from uh, like San Francisco to Philippines, you know it uh, it will be like a order of magnitude uh, different salaries that you would pay there, uh, and we don't really do that, so. Yeah, I mean, the trend I have seen on the salaries is kind of like it's moving more towards like global salaries where you just like pay people the same and then companies kind of optimizing towards that. But there's a lot of opinions here and there's a lot of different systems and <laughs> depending on, you know, like and a lot of different arguments for doing it that way or the other way. Yeah.
4: This podcast is brought to you by event apart. For over 15 years, and Event Apart conferences have been the best way to level up your skills, be inspired by world-class experts, and learn what's next in web design. And Event Apart is proud to introduce Online Together Fall Summit, a three-day web design conference coming to a device near you, October 26th through 28th. The Fall Summit features 18 in-depth sessions, each followed by a live moderated Q&A session with the speaker, plus unique one-on-one conversations with some special guests. You'll learn about Advanced CSS from Marianne Suzanne and Una Kravitz. Design Systems and Patterns from Mina Markham and Jason Grigsby. Design Engineering from Kunle Oduye. Inclusive Design from Sarah Sauden and David Dylan Thomas, and much more. Attending an event apart boosts your brain, inspires your creativity, and increases your value to your teammates, employers, clients, and most of all, yourself. And you can boost it even further. Purchase a three-day pass and receive six months of on-demand access to their first three online together events. That's a full six days of jam-packed content for the price of three. Greater-than-code listeners can get $100 off any multi-day pass with promo code AEAGTC. Once again, that promo code is AEAGTC. So grab your spot and join an event apart online together fall summit, October 26th through 28th. See the full three-day schedule and register today at aneventapart.com.
1: So, Amir, you had mentioned around hiring that one of the advantages of having a remote company is that you can hire based on mission and i also remember seeing probably a blog post about how your company doesn't have an exit strategy because you're focused on building uh, towards that long term that long that long goal of mission can you talk a little more about that like how that changes how you make decisions when you're focused on your mission versus focused on the exit yeah
2: yeah. You know, this was something i did very early on it's kind of like view this as kind of like uh, my life project so what i like to say is like you know that is kind of my exit strategy so this is kind of very different from like the regular approach where like especially you know like it, you're just like looking at like like selling it or like you know it's kind of just like 10 years and the decision that you make doesn't really matter because it will be all, all over soon regardless of like the decision that, that you make and that means like you can you know like not really like care that much about a culture, like the people that you hire, or like you know what kind of things you are building because it's all over soon. So this like short term thinking is like really something that that I don't really think is the optimal way of of doing things. So that's why like we are long term. Like we, you know, I have been at this like for thirty and fourteen years now, and there's like no end in sight, and that feels great, you know. <laughs> and that also means that you know like I can't really like slack and like compromise on, on like the the mission or like the stuff that we're building the the people that we hire the culture that we have because i know like i will pay this like (laughs) and there will be no end like you know i will need to live with with these things uh, for a long time so that's kind of like the 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 line of thinking that has like having no exit strategy
1: do you think that something in there is that thing that john was asking you like what is the thing that drives you That's something in this, like, sticking in it for the long haul and not really wanting to have short-term decision-making. Is that a part of your drive?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And, you know, I have not really reflected over that that much. But, I mean, something to know is, like, I don't really give up very easily, you know. And that's, uh, (laughs) that's probably part of, like, personality and the background that I have. And, you know, this like, sticking it out and just, like, continuing, like, day in, day out. And not really being tired you know that i mean that's definitely i think related but i have not really reflected much about this
0: so we've come to the part of our show where we call reflections which is uh where each of us can talk about the things that have struck us about the conversation and things that might be uh sticking with us afterwards that we're going to be thinking about uh and so for me you know i think as i mentioned earlier the the thought about the impact of you know having a, a like a globally very high salary that can be, you know, given to every person, you know, regardless of where they're living. And then that would enable them to, you know, be a part of their local communities in a really positive way, simply because that money is coming in from the outside is is really interesting one and one that I'm going to sort of build into my concept of like the possibilities of remote work, because I think that's, it's a really positive benefit that isn't really talked about very often.
1: I like that one. I want to steal it. I would say one of the things that, that will probably stick with me is some of what you were talking about in the beginning, Amir, about what it was like for your family and for you being a refugee and how you, it gave you this sense that learning was something that could really allow you to get where you wanted to go because of what you saw just when you were growing up and your parents had the grocery store. And then the way things changed so quickly, but things were so unstable. I think that there's something in there that feels like a lot of other stories I've heard from other people. They're not always about the same topic, but there is something about when you go through something different from those around you, how it shapes you differently and how these things that oftentimes are negative can actually be something that makes you into the person that you want to be, which seems like a little bit of what you've been able to do with some of those experiences is to help it, let those things help you become the founder that you are now. So there's some, there's some little nugget of wisdom in there, which I can't quite put my finger on, um, but I will be thinking about it afterwards.
2: Yeah. Those are some, two really, really good reflections. I mean, my reflection would be, you know, I think like a lot of people, especially like uh, I know your podcast a lot, like about uh, diversity and like you know a lot of like diverse people struggle a lot because they don't look or act like other uh, around them. Like, if you can use this energy, like negative energy, into something positive, then I think you can actually like change your life in a meaningful way. And that's at least what what has like been a power for me is kind of like using this like traumatic and like negative energy into something that's kind of drives me in a positive way forward i think it's also like possible to kind of go in the other direction and like use this for like destructive behavior if you have struggled uh, then maybe you can actually use this as your superpower uh, and kind of the drive that, that can make huge changes and normal people like that have had normal lives like don't have uh, the like the source of like power you know? that keeps on giving and never really stops. So, yeah.
1: That was a great way to wrap up the show. Like, we wouldn't even have to do it. He even went all the way back to the superpower.
0: Yeah, it's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Amir. This has been a fantastic conversation.
2: I really enjoyed it as well. And, uh, yeah, thanks a lot, folks.